0: comments made on the serotalk podcast network are those of the individuals and do
1: not represent serotech corporation its staff management board of directors or third-party resellers
0: hi this is bill welcome to this week's episode of real world fitness got a really cool guest this week who we're gonna spend most of the time talking to and uh before we get to her i want to make one really quick announcement i'm really excited about this the uh people at hadley posted one of my recorded audio workout files, along with an additional file of exercise description. So any of you who are regular uh, followers of things on the Hadley site, this is a follow-up. It's attached to the archived webinar we did a few weeks ago, and I'm really excited that they uh, thought that it would be worth having that there for people to check out, and um, hopefully it'll get some good use. So I'm real pleased with that. And now on to the guest for this week. We all play Shrink. Whether you're a bartender, or a waiter, or a personal trainer, or a nutritionist, or the checkout girl at the supermarket, we all play psychotherapist. This week, I have a real, genuine, authentic, certified, licensed, and educated psychotherapist. Her name is Georgia Dow, and she's coming to us via Skype from Toronto, I believe, And I found her. Montreal. Montreal, I apologize. (laughs) Okay, I love women that correct me. (laughs) She's going to have an analysis of why that is, I'm sure. (laughs) But found Georgia in the place I've been finding a lot of really awesome guests lately. Basically poaching from uh, Kevin Larrabee's FitCast. I told Kevin I was going to poach off of his guest list because he's the best and he's got the best guests. And I saw Georgia on there like, four, five, six times in the last year. So either Kevin thinks she's awesome or she's just got absolutely nothing else to do and I can't believe that. So my guest this week, that cute little giggle you're hearing in the background, Ms. Georgia Dow.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, when I started seeing the captions of some of the podcasts and then listened to them, I decided anyone who has such an obsession with Oreos, I have to talk with. (laughs)
1: I I do go through some strange things on my Twitter feed.
0: Okay, well, I didn't even look at your Twitter feed. I just saw one podcast where the, the, you know, it was this and Oreos, that and Oreos, something else and Oreos. And I think you both apologized to Nabisco for something.
1: I think that they're sponsoring Kevin's podcast now.
0: Unknowingly.
1: (laughs) They should be if they're not.
0: They they definitely should be. And they could probably get away with just sending him a couple bags of Oreos a week and he'd be happy.
1: But yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> so how do we end up with a psychotherapist who is apparently a hardcore gamer who also does a variety of podcasts in the fitness world? There's also some BJJ tie in there. Are you a competitive uh, BJJ player, fighter?
1: Yes, I uh Well, when I was little, I wanted to be a superhero. And um, I didn't really get that couldn't happen. I found out to my dismay. And so I started training in martial arts. So I've done that since I was little. And uh, my most current martial arts is Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is, they're just wonderful martial arts.
0: Okay, and obviously you compete. What level are we at?
1: Well, I haven't competed. I, I did blow out my knee a few years ago. And so I haven't gone back to competitions since my surgery. It's one of those things where it's a lot of time, a lot of training. So now I do it more on the sidelines. I do just training and we compete intra-school instead of doing really the large competitions just because you have to train a good amount of time beforehand diet, I have to really work on everything. And then it's a long day training when you do a competition for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you're there for the whole day waiting and training to that. And so I might get back into full competitions. But I've done it, I've kind of proved my thing. I've enjoyed it. So I'm going to see I'm going to see if the calling comes back to me to really want to put that much energy into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, just because I have such a Um, I'm so busy with my practice that, you know, you kind of have to make choices in your life of what is your main priority. And so some stuff is going to have to be put as secondary and tertiary kind of importance on your list.
0: Well, it sounds like you've done some competition maybe in some of the other arts. So it's kind of a been there, done that next project kind of thing, it sounds like to me. Yes,
1: Yes, I'm very type A in that way. You know, you want to do well, put your mind to it, see as much as you can get out of something. And then I find the next thing. I think that martial arts is always going to be something that's in my life. It's just part of who I am as a person. So I couldn't say that I I, I really love training. There's nothing, you get that great, you don't want to go training, you're tired, you're relaxed. And then After, you know, you train, you just feel great. And so I'm always happy after I've trained, I've put myself on the line, I've gotten beaten up and or uh, beaten up others, but it's all in this very (laughs) humbling experience, which is lovely. I think that that there's something that I really appreciate about martial arts and it's a lot of risk. It's a lot of dealing with failure and risk and coming back out there better for it. And everyone in Jiu Jitsu, especially in comparison to other stand up styles, is that everyone's really, really humble because no matter who you are, how big you are, how strong you think you are, you're going to go in the first day and, and you're going to lose and you're going to lose a lot. And so it definitely also puts your ego in check, which I find a really wonderful psychological experience.
0: Well, the way the world has become, I don't know what the rest of the world is like, but I know in the United States, we are all very self obsessed and that's the only word i can use is self obsessed so i think most of us need to be humbled every now and then
1: yeah i think it's a great it's a great experience i think that we you know western culture it's all about yourself and you know you always want to be the best and do everything well and the wonderful thing about doing a martial art where you're really not, no matter, and I did martial arts before I started jiu-jitsu and I still was, was. and for many, many years I'd gotten a black belt in Wing Chun, I'd gotten a black belt in Kenpo and I was still completely and utterly destroyed on the mats when I first went there and it was a wonderful experience to see the world from I have to start all over again and that's okay and learning is the primary objective, not winning, which is a different thought process, but that is what is resilience. And resilience is that thought of being able to lose, to fail at something, and you can pick up the pieces and learn from it and become better. Because we learn much more from failures than we ever do from successes. Failures will grade on you, you will hear them, you will make sure that you do everything not to make the same mistake twice. And that's how we learn.
0: You don't learn a lot if you win easily. And that's when the self-importance gets out of control. And, mm-hmm. and then when you finally do lose, it can be devastating, I would think.
1: It is. It, it absolutely is. I have, I deal a lot actually with people that are really talented, other type A personalities that do well early on in life and they don't have many struggles. But because of that, they haven't, we, you know, it's almost like, you know, the skin on your hands or your feet. And so if you haven't, Done a lot of manual labor. The skin on your hands or on your feet is really, really sensitive. And so then going out and walking barefoot can be very painful for you. And losing and failures actually help you build up that emotional thickening that allows you to take losses and risks without worrying about it because you know that you're going to be able to handle it and pick up the pieces even if you lose. If you've done really well in life, it's great for your early learning, but you have not built up upon that feeling of resiliency that I can risk something and I can do poorly at it. It's not going to devastate me. I have a lot of people that come in and their parents have kind of protected them from the world. And if they make a mistake or their parents kind of pick up the pieces. And so they have a false sense of accomplishment, but it doesn't come from them. And they don't understand that failure is part of life and it's part of learning, and it's vastly important. You want to make sure that your children have gotten the, the little bit of teasing that, that is actually healthy for us. At great levels, it's damaging. But in small levels, having siblings that will tease you or bug at you or make life difficult for you, that's how you learn how to problem solve, how to deal with different situations that are coming towards you, and also to feel that toughening of that, I can handle this. This is not too much for me. And so now I have a great influx of people that, you know, no one's gone through food shortages or war in most of Western culture. And so life is very simple. And so there's no outward source of difficulties, and then they're protected, which is a loving thing from parents, from everything through the world of hardships. And then they have a huge fear of failure, that that's the worst thing that could happen, is to fail at something, whereas they they just have not built up that emotional skin that's been thick enough to be able to handle it and so often they'll really feel exceptionally depressed or anxious and worried and have difficulty in making big decisions that might be the best decision for them and they end up playing it safe or staying very close to home and not reaching their own full potential because of that
0: okay we got way deep into something (laughs) right from the beginning i love it i love it no 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 that's that's awesome that's awesome What I'm thinking when I'm listening to you is the high school super jock and prom queen that don't know how to deal with the real world when they walk away from being the superstar in school, or uh, some extraordinarily gorgeous woman, and this is going to be superficial sounding, but I've known a couple people who skated through life until they were probably into their 50s based on their spectacular good looks. And then when that mm-hmm. faded, they just didn't know how to function in the world anymore because they didn't have the prettiest smile, the most dazzling eyes, or the whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. So it, it's yeah.
0: kind of kind of the same things. If if you've skated through based on some gifts that you had, eventually the real world's gonna catch up with you.
1: Yes, it's it's in a lot of ways. It's not a benefit, though you would feel that way. And we are our our culture is is highly superficial to men and to women and you do get things we've done umpteen psychological studies on looks and height and weight and how we treat people because of that which is a sad state of affairs for our culture but it is very true and so people might find one is a lot of people one may think that you know even if you are really hardworking and beautiful they may actually say well because of your looks you got the job and so they won't give you the benefit to that and then on the the inverse, you may have chosen that as your one skill is looking beautiful, which is okay, uh, which is a wonderful thing. We like to look at things that are beautiful for men and for women, but you may not have then chosen to develop other skills because of that, because it works so well that you didn't need to. And so for myself i think that that's why i had to i went into brazilian jiu-jitsu and i had to do so well at it, it was not because it was it was because of the fact that i did so poorly in Uh, physical activities when I was young. I was very, very young for my age. I was scrawny and I had a really hard time in gym class and doing everything that all the other kids did. And so because of that, I actually had to supersede that as I got older to prove it to myself that I could. And so a lot of times our wounds and difficulties and the teasing and being bothered has actually increased a drive in us to achieve and to prove it to ourselves or to the world that we can do it. And that ends up being a good thing. Whereas some people that have had the ease of life never built up that drive because life was very easy for them. And so they expect that it will always remain that way. And then at a certain point in life, it is much more difficult to go by on one or two skills and you, you did not develop other areas that you have to. And that can be very exhausting later in life.
0: Now you had mentioned parents and how they deal with their children. The world now is so very... I think insulated would be the mm-hmm. word in in mm-hmm. spite of the fact that we have access to everything on the internet and our little digital devices that none of us can, you know, let get further than five feet away from us. There's, there's so much insulation and so much, what do they call them? Helicopter parents?
1: Yes. I yes. mean,
0: I mean as, as an example, my wife grew up in Brooklyn. Her father worked in Manhattan. She thought nothing when she was 13 or 14, and we're talking 40 years ago, of getting on the train with her sister and going to see dad after school at his office. Mm -hmm. What parent today would let a couple teenage girls get on a train in Brooklyn and go into Manhattan by themselves?
1: They wouldn't. They wouldn't. And if they did, someone would call Child Protective Services on them, which is... An exception like it's it's like the pendulum shift so before we were probably a little bit too open with kids, I would leave um, my home I would go out go bike riding and I was little I went wa- I walked at kindergarten I would walk to my school which was maybe five six blocks away so it wasn't very far but it was still I was five. I would go to school on my own and come home for lunch and then go back to school all on my own. And so before, and I would, I would leave, I would go bike riding, I would go down and I would just come back when it was dark. Like, no one knew where I was, I didn't tell, I didn't know where I was going myself. And, you know, that maybe was too far on the pendulum of shifting of too much freedom. And now, uh, we often won't even let kids go to the park that's right next to our school in a lot of parts of the world right now that would be considered illegal, to even let your kids go to a park that you could see from your window or, you know, that you wouldn't let kids play in your front yard that's your front yard. And so the pendulum somewhat shifts from one side, then goes too far to the other side. And I think that most parents would say, and and I myself would say, that I am way too overprotective for the development of my children. I remember watching my kids uh, across the street. They were probably five and seven at the time. Uh, no, they were four and, yeah, four and seven. And they didn't know how to cross the road properly when a car was coming. Now, I was outside watching them because that's what we have to do these days. It is the cultural norm. And stepping outside of that is going to cause a certain amount of discourse and um, difficulty for families that do that. So, but I could tell that they didn't know which side to cross on, to cross on the one that's closest when you're in the middle of the road when a car comes. And I went, Wow. There is something wrong with how much I've been watching over my kids that they have not already learned what to do in this situation. That's how far it's gone that they don't understand which way to cross. And so we have gone a little bit too far, and people are noticing it, and parents are talking about, wow, this is too much. We're taking our protection so far that we're not having children learn to problem solve on their own because we are here as parents to make those decisions for them. And we will make better decisions than most kids will in most situations. And so that's almost the excuse that parents make in the reasoning that parents make in why they tell their kids what to do. And they say, well, but that's the better decision, which is absolutely true. But how do kids learn to make decisions? They- By making if, bad decisions. If, right, you learn from your mistakes and you try it. And then you start to develop that sense of, I can make big choices for myself. Even if it's a mistake, and that's almost something that is, we we need that to grow. Like our the area of problem solving, our frontal lobes in our brain, it develops through time. It goes away a little bit during teenage years, but it only really gets developed at twenty four. <laughs> um, hormones and and all kinds of different things that our brain is is busy doing during those periods of time. But
0: it's a state we, of flux.
1: It's a state. <laughs> yes, you could call it <laughs> at a great state of flux. But if we're not practicing using that part of our brain, then we're not developing it. And so if a parent is making a decision for a child, then they're not working that part of their brain out. So it's just like physical training. If you want to make a muscle bigger, what do you do? You train it. The same. Our brain works exactly the same way as a muscle. It's a chemical system versus a muscular system. But the more that you use it, the more synapses work together and the cute saying for uh, neuropsychology is, you know, synapses that fire together, wire together. And so if you want your children to be great problem solvers, they have to solve problems. And so you're taking that away from them. What a concept.
0: See that you're talking about problem solving and just very simple thing. I just don't understand the whole concept of letting them use devices to learn math. I understand later, but I mean, do they actually still have to learn math as in add, subtract, multiply, and divide in school anymore?
1: Well, at some, in some classes, they, they let them use calculators. But I think that it is a really important subject for kids to learn. Because what would happen is, is that if you can do the math yourself in your head and you're developing a certain type of problem solving in your brain, you'll know when the computer's wrong or when someone's trying to swindle you. Or Mm -hmm. what's happening with your stock prices. And so I think that knowledge is power. And if we give that power over to our technology and just trust it, then how do we know when it's not working correctly? And so we need great statisticians and mathematics and other areas of fields. I think that math is one where it's really important to understand other concepts later. So I I think that there are some subjects in school that are less useful now because of computers. But I think that math is one that they should still work on practicing and not just rely on a piece of tech. Because the tech can go down, your batteries can leave. And it's a good thing not just to learn to trust tech. I think that we need to always question the things around us and think twice about them.
0: See, that was actually what my question even was, was do they even teach basic math anymore? Are Are they required to even learn it without a calculator or their iPhone in their hand to let it do the work? Are those basic skills even taught?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm in Canada, so our, our school systems are a little bit different. Um, Probably but better than us, ours. Yes. <laughs> They're ranked, I don't know where the U.S. is ranked. We're ranked quite high for education sets, depending on on which one. But they, they do still teach basic math. They still need to learn their basic calculations, exponents, decimal places, how to write them, how to do them all in their head. Now, more and more they get little booklets that kind of help them so that they understand the concept without having to do great math. But they still have to do everything without technology. But, you know, they all have iPads in their classrooms that they get to use as well, which is a benefit and a, and, and a negative at, at both parts yeah,
0: it's it's a double edged sword. The technology is wonderful, but it makes people's if if you know if what they thought was going to happen at the turn of millennium were to happen tomorrow, so many people would be in so much trouble. They couldn't function yes. without their their gadgets.
1: Yes, it's a little bit of a crutch that we use, and we have our technology. And a lot of people say, "Well, I don't need this because I could always ask Google, or I could always take a look at this." <laughs> But um, I I think that that's one. It's it's becoming complicit in our own unnecessary thoughts of working at our brain. And I think that that's something that we really need to do. And you want to know we need people that are knowledgeable so that they can make sure that the tech is doing what it should be doing and not more than that. Um, not changing and altering facts. We're very trusting once we get comfortable with a piece of technology. And as you said before, truly, it is like my my phone is like, you know, one and a half feet away from me, and most of the time it's there. But anyone can put a web page on with facts that are not true.
0: When are they going to start surgically implanting them?
1: Oof, it's probably going to be sooner than we would expect. We are already in the process of taking a look at... Contacts that will check our glucose levels, things, technology that we wear, that we mm-hmm. will always have on us, and so and there's some people that have pieces of technology that that are in internally implanted, but it is probably going to be within the next thirty years that we're going to have that being a mainstay, from you know watches to glasses to being implants that will do things for us, and I think in some ways it's going to be very powerful and very cool, and I think in other ways. You know, like having my iPhone go down because it's been, you know, hacked is one thing, but having some part of me go down <laughs> because it's being hacked can be really, really scary. And that then people can control be a good thing. things. No, did you see the cars that they, they hacked the cars and they could drive the cars, they could stop the cars, they could turn on the air conditioning, change the wipers, you mm-hmm. know, stop the brakes from being able to work.
0: That's scary. That's that's very it's scary. really,
1: really, very scary. So the same thing could happen if they're, you know, we're working on implants to us. So we need to deal with security at the same time. But it'd be awesome being like a bionic woman. That would be the coolest thing. But again, Yee- there's,
0: there's, <laughs> until somebody hacks you and then you're doing backflips right. for absolutely no reason and punching yourself in the yes. nose or pulling your ear or, <laughs> you know, look, we can make Georgia do this. Fun. Watch Georgia yeah, do no, backflips. That flips. wouldn't be as much
1: fun. That wouldn't be too much fun, but being able to jump from like really big heights and, and leap tall buildings in a single bound. You're in a
0: single bound. That's well, still cool.
1: I might get my superhero thing eventually.
0: Based on, if I remember hearing correctly, somewhere you're about four feet nothing. So yeah, that jumping sing- things in a single bound.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm five, three and a half. So I'm a little bit over that. But I am, I'm really very close to halfling size, truly. <laughs> 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 that's why I would need the superpowers.
0: Okay, I somehow I think you got all the superpowers you need already. <laughs> You've a very very powerful personality. I I'm discovering lately you're about the third physically smaller woman I've spoken to recently that just has this incredibly powerful personality.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, you know, I I, I was that um, strange looking kid that had to develop their part personality because I just didn't really fit in in any way, shape or form, uh, which was okay for me. But it, I went through all the turmoil of being bullied and teased. So I just tried to. Hey, I was the me. fat
0: blind kid with bad skin. You know, how much worse could that get?
1: Right. Uh, I had like a. Uh, I, I had braces, I'd gotten my hair cut exceptionally short, and then I got a perm on it. It was really bad. It's just so many levels <laughs> of bad. Okay, she was a it's Q-tip a little... with braces. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, it so was... we're going to
0: sit here and compare horror stories when we were kids. <laughs> I lived a great life, but, you know, once I got out of the house, I was one of those kids that, you know, the parents tried to protect and over compensate for all the stuff that wasn't so great in the rest of the world, and... uh Right. I I I can definitely attest to having my difficulties later in life because mom and dad protected me in certain ways and I didn't learn certain life skills and how to deal with the real world. Right. I can testify to what you were saying earlier. Yes. Okay. I wanna take a huge jump, total subject change, because I know you're like the gadget queen. <laughs> You and Kevin were talking about various fitness trackers. You know, this is supposedly a health and fitness podcast. We haven't gone anywhere in that right. direction. So right. <laughs> let's kind of go to this thing, because I know you uh, were all excited about your Apple Watch coming out. Mm-hmm. And I recall listening to you and Kevin talk about most of the fitness trackers on the market, A, being totally inaccurate, and B, basically being pieces of junk. So what, what are the experiences you've had? Um, bear in mind, a lot of my listeners have visual impairments and deal with that wonderful Apple accessibility factor. Got to give yes. Apple a lot of credit. Um, yes. they, they blow away all the uh, uh, Samsung products as far as accessibility goes. But how good right. from, as a fitness tracker, tell, tell, tell us about the i, is it the iWatch or the Apple Watch? I don't even know.
1: It's the Apple Watch. The iWatch name was taken already by someone. They okay. scooped it out before Apple got it, and so uh, it's the Apple Watch. Well, it's very interesting. It is wonderful in that it can talk to you, so it can tell you what the time is, and you don't have to worry about um, seeing it, plus it can tap. So it can give you a lot of information, especially for directions. So if you're visually impaired and you're trying to find your way around, it gives a tap and a different tap for left versus for right, which is amazing. You can also do it by sound. So Cool lovely for that. So if you're you're out and about, it's fabulous. But it's also quite accurate. And I had a doctor friend of mine test it out versus their machinery to see about heart rate, um, which would then help you for calories built in how far you've you've how hard you've been working out. And it was exactly precise to their heart rate monitor that they were using, which I was shocked about because I was thinking, uh, it's probably gonna be a little off. But it was exceptionally accurate now bear in mind that because of the way that it works you want to make sure that it's fastened tightly on your wrist because especially if you're working out you're you're going to be moving and it might lose contact and if it's losing contact it's not going to get a very accurate reading
0: okay that makes sense when
1: worn well and again if you your your arm is heavily tatted up it might be a little bit more difficult on the dark colors um, because it's using I believe it's called photoplasmology. I might be completely wrong about the name, but it, it's just using light diodes that are that are giving a reading. And so okay. if you have a lot of hair on your arm, it might be a little bit more difficult, though it reads quite well. And some people wear it on the inside of their wrist if they have a lot of hair on the back of their arm and the hair is very dark, or if you have very, very dark tattoos, again, then I would turn it inwards in an area that you may not have as much tattoos or very light tattoos and it works really well for that
0: okay see this this is interesting because just yesterday i saw a thread on accurate heart rate monitors and my i immediately responded there are none out there that are accurate that talk and most heart rate monitors that are out there are you know the ones that are available to the, the general public from what i understand when you start perspiring they get even less accurate and basically right. most of them are useless so and you're saying the the apple watch can give you an accurate reading then
1: yes and i was i was absolutely shocked i i asked him to to do it again in different circumstances so that we could get to see if it it is always as accurate as what he has that he uses but it was amazing he he was he had his watch on one side and and he's getting the measurement on the other side and he says you know what it was completely on point now he was not working out really hard at the time so we would have to see about that i know that with perspiration the watch still runs exceptionally well so i know that already but again if you're jogging if you're doing something that's like you know doing a lot of arm movements you may be losing contact for small periods of time and then the watch is going to do the best it can to kind of guesstimate what it is. So it is accurate. It may not be as accurate as medical equipment, but do you need that accurate of a reading?
0: Well, it's more accurate than the average heart rate monitor a recreational runner is going to purchase off of Amazon.
1: Yes, yes. Yes, and it will track it and keep all of the information for you, which is also really nice. So you can take a look at it, you know, on a schema that it already sets up for you. Plus, what I love about Apple is that everything is sandboxed, so you don't have to worry about anyone getting your information, your personal medical information, which is especially for the states where insurance companies may choose to deny you because of that. It's an important thing that you that's all kept secure.
0: Sandboxed. I've never heard that term before.
1: It's a really interesting term. I'm, I'm not, uh, as I'm not a programmer, but what that means is that it's almost like every single piece of information for the health app is kept in the health app, and no other applications can call to that information unless you give them permission to do so. And so on Android, there are applications that can kind of. Like, you know, it's almost like having your door in your house locked so that the neighbors can't come in to find out what are you cooking today. Mm-hmm. So for other Android situations, which th- it's great that it's open, but it's also like there's a benefit to that as well, because then you can get cross-fed information. So if you have a personal assistant, they can, you know, give you information depending on everywhere that you're going and what you're doing tomorrow and that, because it can read it. But for Apple products, it's it's security first. And so one application cannot find out what another application is doing or what information is in there unless directed by you to be allowed to open that door.
0: Okay, that's cool. Since I honestly know nothing about it and I have no interest in the watch until they make one that I don't need to also have to have a phone with me. Tell us what else... Right. That's the, that's the turnoff to me. It's like yeah. I got to have the phone to use the watch. No, I want my Dick Tracy wrist radio phone <laughs> slash watch <laughs> slash, you know, beam me up, Scotty, uh, make me invisible yes. and let me fly.
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I fully understand. You're absolutely I, right. Yeah.
0: I knew we'd be on the same page on that one. Yeah. So tell me. Oh, yes. Tell, Tell the dummy in South Florida that knows nothing about the Apple Watch, what else from a fitness standpoint, what else this watch can do for somebody?
1: Well, the wonderful thing is that if I'm training and I have an important call that I have to make, and so I leave my phone in my person and... What it does is it's almost like, this is like the Starship Enterprise, and this is like a little shuttle, right? So Mm -hmm. every time you get close enough, you're going to get the little shuttle coming out and giving you information. So if I'm training, I can go off and do my running. And I don't bring my, my, it'll, it'll actually track, it'll keep a certain amount of information on the watch, but then when I get within 30 feet of my phone, then that information goes to my phone. So I can get notifications, I can find out if there's a phone call coming in, and it tells me who's calling. And I don't have it beep, I have it give a little tiny tap so I can take a look, and then I can say, you know what? This is a really important call. It's important for me to come in and take it. Or I can say, you know what? I'm going to finish my training. I'm going to finish my workout because that's what's important first, because this is something that is non-essential for me to answer immediately. And so it frees me up. I don't have to hear my phone ringing and feel, oh no, I have to find out what's happening. And it also gives these wonderful little motivations of, you know, good job, you've, you know, it, it gives a little circle diagram as you're training and working out that says, oh, good, you've made the amount of workout that you would like right now. Which is, like, really, really nice because a lot of people, that's that motivation to keep going, to keep going, work out, do a little more. You're, if your circle, you're, once the circle's complete, that means you've, you've worked out for as long as you had set for yourself to train for.
0: You've achieved your goal.
1: If you're almost done, you have just a little touch more. Who wouldn't be that, okay, I'm just going to jump up and down for a little bit. You're getting the benefit from that just to complete my circle. And then it gives you a little congratulations, which is that tap on the back that we, we do really well for us to say, good job for the day.
0: Well, we all need that. And the thing is, a lot of us don't have outside support. I train yes. at home. Yeah, you know, I got tired of commercial gyms. I train at home. I've got a fully equipped gym in my garage, and you know, my wife loves me. She thinks I'm gorgeous. Blah blah blah. But she's not going to tell me you gained a little weight, or hey, your you know, your back's looking thicker, or I, you know, whatever it is. So I don't get, <laughs> yes. you know, I don't get yeah. any kind of a support system. I don't have one. So right. I have to I have to find right. it in me. So a gadget that would say, hey you achieved your goals for the day. You're doing good. It's not as good as a training partner, but it's there. maybe it's better than yes. a training partner because it's always going to be there.
1: That's true. That's true. And you can you can take a look at your achievements and they they give little um, you know, little achievement stickers for when you've done your first week of m- making your goals each day. And so you get to keep these little badges as well and I'll work for stickers. Stickers work for me. So I like to get those.
0: <laughs> stickers and Oreos. But it's wonderful. This-
1: yeah. You're, you're a cheap a date, person. girl. I really am. I really am. It's, it's a simple life for me, but it makes it a little bit more fun. And if working out is fun, you're going to greatly increase the chances that you're going to go training for that.
0: That's an important point I've tried to make so many times right there. You've got to find a, a method of training that's fun for you, because if this is drudgery,
1: mm-hmm. you ain't going to yes. do it. No, you won't. It's going to be harder and harder. It's going to be, you know, on a day that's great and you wake up and you're feeling fabulous. You'll probably go out and train because you're disciplined and you want to. But it's on those days that you really don't want to. You know you should. You're not massively sick. There's there's no really great reason not to train. But you're just not feeling into it. If training is fun, you're going to want to do it every day. And when you're feeling down and and out, you're going to be like, but this is fun. I really want to do it. And that's the key is to find the thing that works for you to keep you going. It's wonderful if you have an ecosystem around you that, that promotes that. If you have friends that are training or doing what you're doing, or if you enjoy that feeling of even just being there, then you're going to keep at it. And then you don't have to worry about motivation because this is actually a joyous thing.
0: And I think I've probably harped on that point through about 20 of my last 30 podcasts at some point. You got to (laughs) find something, whether you're, I mean, you couldn't pay me to run, but there are other people I know that that's all they want to do. I, you know, my lawyer goes and does marathon after marathon and let's lift some weights. No, I hate that. Don't want to do that. And me, it's, you know, you got to find the thing that that feels good, that's fun, that that you want to do. Cause if it's drudgery, this is the only thing most people do for themselves, purely for themselves in their life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And we're, we're made to be active. Activity is so essential to our brain, to growth, towards healing. And we, we used to le- live really active lives. That's what we are made to do. That's when we are at our best. And so though, like all of the technology is, has allowed us to live exceptionally sedentary lives. If I have to get up to like three feet to to grab the controller, like we used to have to get up and actually turn on the TV. If I have to oh go three God. feet to grab the controller, I'm like, I'm upset. I'm like, oh, where's the, con- really I have to get up. I have to- I'm sitting so comfortably and I have to leave from that sitting position to lean over to grab the controller. And so though technology in a lot of ways has been a great benefit to us, we live more and more sedentary lives. I remember that, you know, the scene from, if you've ever seen the movie, Wally, it's a, Don't think so. It's a cartoon movie from Pixar, and it's funny because all the people now live in these motorized chairs. And everything comes to them and so they don't move. And it's cute because in the movie, we're becoming larger and larger in weight and our muscles can't, they can't, people can't walk <laughs> because we're not using them enough. And we we kind of like slide out of the chairs, but we were just not fit enough in order to do anything. It's fu- It was funny because it was a joke, but it's getting closer and closer to reality as technology is doing all of the belabored work for us. But then what happens to us? Our heart is a muscle. Our brain works best even for learning. We don't even learn well when we're not fit, which is interesting. We, we grow more little tiny like learning molecules on the edge of our synapses, not molecules. Um, but we get most of those when we're also active and doing things. Because if we're moving around, it's very important for us what it was for our development evolutionary-wise was to know what's happening so that we can learn and remember what is a danger, what is not a danger, where is food. So we're primed for learning when we're fit as well. So if you want to do well on that math test, make sure that you do a little bit of a workout the night before, do a little workout after, and you will be primed for remembering the information that you need.
0: Okay, you just gave me uh, something I wanted to mention to you and then something I wanted to ask you about. In this subject about activity and the brain, physical activity and the brain, I had a guest on a long time ago uh, who was telling me about a a study, some research study that was done at some university. I don't recall where, but doesn't matter. That showed heightened creativity for a period of a couple hours in people after physical activity. They actually mm-hmm. did something with control groups, and I, you know, improved creativity not not just you know normal alertness or but but actual the what is the word I'm looking for when we're talking creative as opposed to analytical or scientific um but you know it's it's the same point it yeah. was the physical activity stimulates i guess circulation to that part of your brain yes. so here's a, here here's a question that this is kind of just caused to pop into my mind elderly people tend to be less physically active. Mm -hmm. Elderly people tend to deal with the diminished mental capacities. Are these two things tied together?
1: Well, they are. And more and more studies have shown that if you want to stave off uh, impaired cognitive functioning when you get older, it is really important to exercise now. And it also deals with muscular loss and other things. So if you want to be able to continue walking, then you should be walking. But also for your brain, for your cognitive functioning, the the brain does best when it is exercising. And so exercise is the best thing to keep cognitive function nice and heightened and that ability to learn primed. And so, yes, they work together and they work inversely. If you're also sedentary, you're not getting a lot of different environments that you're having to look at. So looking at a plain white room all day or the same things that you've always seen. Your brain is not doing as much processing as it would in new environments. So that also works towards that. Um, Plus, yes, there's circulation, there's lowering of anxiety. And when you're anxious, you're not going to be doing a great deal of healing And so that's also detrimental to your brain because you're going to build up more um, amyloid plaque, which is the thing that it's kind of like fibroids that kind of mess up the signal between, you know, synapses of the brain. And so these things are all interrelated, but it's exceptionally important for people as they get older to ensure that they are doing enough exercise. And yes, it will be more difficult. And yes, you have to be careful but often people say, well, because I'm getting older, I don't want to hurt myself, which I fully understand. So I don't exercise at all. Do something that is made for you, that is comfortable for you. So it could be swimming, even if you're bedridden, to be in your bed and moving around on the bed. It Activity level is just getting your heart rate beating faster than what it is before. So it might not be what someone else is doing. But you want to start the ball moving of more active will then increase the activity level that you can reach, and then you'll become more active after that. And so if it's yoga, if it's training, if it's walking on the treadmill, if it's in the bed, if it's dancing, start with what you feel comfortable with. Do it till you feel, you know, so so that your heart's beating a little bit faster, and then build upon that. But don't feel that if I can only do two minutes that that's bad, and now I'm just going to stop and give up. Two minutes is better than no minutes.
0: Okay, yep. I have to to share something with you and what you're talking about. And this is something that just blew me away. I recently started uh, studying Tai Chi to try and improve Mm. my balance. And um, the gentleman that I'm working with has a, a small studio and I went by there one day and he was doing a group class that I was going to work with him privately after. And he had five elderly ladies, all of which I chatted with because they were very curious about my dog that I had with me, my, my guide dog. And um, after they left, I knew one of them, obviously, I could tell by her voice that she was much, much older. But the others, I really wasn't sure. And I asked him, how old are those ladies after they left? And he said they average between 80 and 86 these five nice. ladies, and they're in there doing his Tai Chi with him five days a week.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. That's so amazing.
0: That just totally blew me away. That, it really impressed me.
1: Oh, how love it
0: They were all articulate, sharp as can be, intelligent. I believe they were all driving, or at least a few of them were driving because didn't hear anyone make any comment about your rides here or anything of that nature. So, I, I think they are prime prime examples
1: of what you're talking about oh and it's it's wonderful and tai chi is a wonderful activity in that you also work as you were saying you work on balance you work on body control you work also on your breathing so it's wonderful anxiety management at the same time and if you get really good at doing all of those things you also feel a greater sense of peace throughout the day there's less and less chance of you uh, getting over frustrated and it's lovely because you're doing it as a group. You're working towards a project of learning whichever is the specific movements that you have to learn together. And so it's also a lot of fun.
0: I found it very, very challenging doing nothing but strength training for 40 years. So my focus has been tense everything up and push as hard as possible. Right, and right. And to now relax everything. Now loosen your fingers, relax your shoulders, let your abdominals, I can't do this. <laughs>
1: Yes, it was completely the antithesis to everything that you've been training for. That must have been really difficult.
0: It's still is. I've only been doing it about six weeks, and I'm already seeing a huge improvement in my balance, but I, it's extraordinarily challenging. He will walk by me, and we're we're still doing it privately. Actually, tomorrow is going to be the first day I go into a group class that he said, you know enough now you can keep up with the group. I said, like, okay. He will Wonderful. still walk by me and slap my hands. Like, like, fingers. Relax your fingers. <laughs> I,
1: I'm, yes. I thought I was. <laughs> how how do you find doing the movements very slowly versus like, you know, weightlifting where you're not doing it as slow and fluidly?
0: Well, I never did like Olympic lifting, which is like super fast. I always did more bodybuilding type training where I was, you know, concentrate on contracting the muscle and making the movements perfect. So that's really not that different other than the contracting part.
1: Right. Right. So,
0: so I was always the the one that was obsessive about the meticulous form, because I was never super strong. So I decided I wanted to be as 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 perfect in what I did as I could. So that is a good carryover. But when he has me doing things like, okay, now stand on one foot and bring the other knee up to waist level. Now slowly bring your foot to the floor. It's like no. I can pick it up, but you don't get slowly back down unless you want me to fall back down.
1: <laughs> right.
0: But we're working on it. It's, uh, it's a new challenge. It's kind of like you with the BJJ. As good as you were at the other martial arts, you came in, got your butt kicked, and went, okay, we're starting from scratch. I've been
1: we're starting lifting weights for
0: 40 years, and I'm completely starting from scratch with the Tai Chi.
1: But isn't that also that lovely feeling of learning something new? How exciting.
0: It really is and the thing is the the other day when he gave me this there's a a sequence of 18 movements and the 17th movement is to stand raise your one foot up you know knee up to about waist level and that same arm mm-hmm. straight out at shoulder level and then yes. slowly lower it to the ground and I did it and I went I'm actually holding my knee up I've been in this position for about seven or eight seconds. I'm not falling. I'm not, I was, nice. I, I could tell I had this huge smile on my face because I couldn't believe I actually was able to do that. Perfect. Well, standing on one foot is almost impossible for most blind people. I don't know why. It's a balance issue. And if you try it, and my wife laughed at me when I couldn't do it. And then I said, oh, yeah, close your eyes.
1: Yes. And then then I, she couldn't I, do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we use, and when I taught martial arts, I would always, we would do um, balance exercises. We did it as games. And so the first level was to do it with your eyes open because then you can look at the floor to kind of keep, so part of it's in our inner ear, but part of it is just through the visual acuity. So you're looking at the floor to see when you're tilting one way or another, which happens faster than it happens fluidly in our ears until you become really attuned to it by practicing it all the time. And so I always then say, now the next time when people get good at it, okay, now we close our eyes. And it is imminently more difficult to be able to do that, imminently more difficult, because you're, you're really having to fine-tune one area, and you're you're not going to be reading it as quickly. And so every little muscle also is reacting in a, a faster level to that. But I I can completely understand how it's something so wonderful to be able to work on. And Tai Chi is great for that. But to be able to do it, to hold your position and to know, you know what? Yeah, I've got this now.
0: Well, I don't know that I've got it every time I do it. But just the fact that I stood there and went, wow, I'm actually doing it. (laughs) Let's see if we can do it again.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. On the other leg.
0: (laughs) The other leg didn't work so good.
1: No, it never does. It never does. We always have one, <laughs> one leg that is like dominant, the same thing as one hand. And that's going to be the one that we favor. But that's why you want to practice it on both so that no matter what happens, you have good balance for both areas. And it, it is a really important thing, especially as we get older to work on our balance. I think that a lot of times like stretching and balance are two things that we kind of leave by the wayside because it is rarely noticeable to people on the outside. And it's rarely noticeable to ourselves until we actually hurt ourselves by doing something that we shouldn't, or losing our balance, and and how are we going to catch up. But that's why it's so important, because it'll, it'll greatly reduce the chances of you getting hurt. And if you fall a little, or you trip on something, or, you know, especially if you are visually impaired, having uneven ground that you did not expect, or even for me, if I'm carrying groceries, and I don't know what it is, that I do a lot of martial arts. I have protected myself from falls many a time because of the luck of my balance, because I'm exceptionally clumsy. So I really do need that.
0: Well, I've found that mobility and flexibility as one gets older really are far more important. I mean, strength is important. Strength is very important. Yes. You've gotta you know, be able to carry those bags of groceries and you gotta be able to pick up the grandchildren or children or whatever. But as you get older, I mean, I know my hamstrings and my calves are not as flexible and as loose as they used to be, and it takes me a lot longer to warm up at fifty six. yeah, fifty six than it did when I was, you know, twenty five or thirty. So yeah. it, it's it one's priorities in their training really need to change, and the focus for people as they get older really is to work on that maintaining not not even increasing but just maintaining your mobility and well working on keeping the balance and improving the balance because that is one that tends to go i guess as the vision and the hearing goes as people get elderly as well
1: Mm -hmm. well it's it's i watched and I, i can't think of the link right now but i watched a wonderful anatomy class where they talked about this type of fluff that grows in between the uh your muscles and every day you get this little bit of i forget what it's called but i'll use the word fluff that kind of grows in between and the more that you don't use a muscle there's days and weeks of this fluff that kind of becomes thicker and thicker that is actually stopping mobility because it's going in the opposite direction so it's going perpendicular to your muscles and it's kind of keeping them in place and so movement stretching being fluid with things is exceptionally important, especially if you have an injury, especially if you're dealing with arthritis, because it's also going to, it's going to be doing that tensing up. And I, like you also, my hamstrings are, are just, I've been born with very tight hamstrings. That's always been my weakness. And so I always try to remember that video, which, you know, is all talking about, and he showed the anatomy of what happens after one day of non-movement versus after a month of not moving. And I went, yeah, okay, that was all I needed to see to keep myself making sure that I stretch, making sure that before I train, I limber up even in the areas that I will not need to make sure that I have fluid range of moment, motion in all of my hands and my wrists in my back, et cetera.
0: See, that's a really important point that you just made that a lot of people will, and I've seen this in the gym for years, all right, I'm benching today, I don't need to loosen up my hips and my legs. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You'll be doing that maximum. (laughs) You'll have that 300-pound bench, and you'll be pushing with everything you've got, and your hamstring will spasm or your calf will spasm. Yeah, you need to warm up your whole body.
1: Yes, exactly. You need to do it.
0: People don't really realize it's, it's a unit. It's not pieces. Your body is a unit. When you're doing all those nice little martial arts moves, you're not throwing a kick with your leg or throwing a punch with your arm you're using your entire body to do those moves.
1: Yeah. And the risk of injury is so much greater if you have not done all of your flexibility. And it's, it's something that because you don't really see the end result, we kind of think, oh, I don't need to. But you don't want to get hurt, stretch. And especially if you have an injury, you still want to make sure that you're working on keeping your flexibility at the same time without hurting yourself.
0: You have to move. I mean, you know that if you well, here's the perfect example. When we wake up in the morning, everything hurts, right? After yeah. you're up for a half an hour and moving around, you feel good. When I get out of bed, mm-hmm. my hips hurt, my shoulders hurt. It's because I've been in the same position for the last seven or eight hours.
1: Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And I found it on YouTube. It's called the Fuzz Speech, F U Z Z, and it's by Jill Headley gil and it's wonderful if you don't like stretching or if you 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 know someone else that doesn't take a look at that and you'll think about stretching and you'll do it
0: you were close you said fluff it's fuzz and it of fluff
1: close. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes
0: when you say fluff i think of two things one i think of that marshmallow stuff and <laughs> yes two i've known some heavier people that said, I'm not fat, I'm fluffy.
1: Oh, I like that. I like that. That's a much more positive way of looking at it. Okay. But the wonderful thing about it is he actually shows you what the fascia looks like, the fascia looks like, and what happens with the muscle. And so he actually has, if you're a little bit squeamish, to see what a muscle looks like without the skin on, this may be a little bit difficult for you. But being able to see it makes it real. We talk about it and we, we, we put our own imagery, but when you can actually see a muscle, what it looks like between, you know, a day and six months, then you say, okay, now I understand. And I don't want this to happen.
0: That's one of those slap in the face reality things. It feels like we've been talking for five minutes, but we've been talking for about an hour. And I think I want to wrap this up and beg you to come back in the future. Cause I know you probably got other <laughs> stuff to do today. And we can go. And I I just don't want to like. There's so many other subjects we can approach that I don't want to skim over them. So let me just ask you if you can just throw parting thoughts, parting words, and then I'll just wrap this up and I'll bother you in a couple weeks.
1: <laughs> for sure. Well, there's there's a new project that I'll mention because it's very dear to my heart, and um, so we're launching a video series for people that deal with anxiety and that may not want to go to visit someone to see a therapist. And so we're launching that, which is, I think, a wonderful way to be able to treat anxiety at your own home through a digital download. So I'll just mention what the link is. It's called anxiety-videos.com. And you can try that out if you're dealing with anxiety because it can be crippling and a lot of people deal with it in private and they don't want to talk about it. And so we're hoping to reach a lot of people through that. And uh, keep on training, keep on working out, and don't feel bad if you can't do everything that anyone else can. It's a personal journey.
0: I can't really add much to that. We've been talking (laughs) with with Ms. Oh, God, I cannot function when this woman giggles. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We've been talking with Georgia Dow from Montreal. I'd like her so much better if she was in Toronto, but we'll put up with Montreal (laughs) just because she's awesome. (laughs) And uh, we're going to have her back in a few weeks, and we'll actually really get more into the fitness stuff and talk about nutrition and body image and some other things. And uh, you've been listening to the Real World Fitness Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill, and I'll be back next week with, well, God only knows what. Have an awesome week. Real World Fitness is a production of the Talk Podcast Network in cooperation with KosiavaFitness.com. All questions, comments, and feedback should be submitted to resources at serotalk.com. If you're listening on a mobile device, use your iBlink radio app to submit an iReport.